0: Good morning everybody. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before, I would love for you to tell me that I've never met you before, and I would love for you to then tell me your name so I could then meet you and greet you and welcome you to our church. Hope you got all that. Turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. This morning, if you're using one of the chair Bibles, which I would recommend to you, especially with the story this morning, a little teaser on that one, but it'll be on page 926. Central to our story this morning from the book of Acts is the idea of being noble. And so I want to begin this morning by thinking about what it means to be noble. And to do that, I want to take a step back to think about the idea of nobility. Uh, This isn't around as much anymore, but back in history it was. In the time of the Bible, it was. So I want to think about what you were if you were a noble or were part of the nobility. So if you were part of the nobility, you got there because you were born there. You were born into what would be then known as the right family, where your family name could get you benefits just because of who your family was. You were one of the better families, and a name you had a name that carried weight. If you were part of the nobility, you also owned land, and therefore would have been an employer to many of the common folk of your area. You were more educated as being a part of the nobility, in some ways just being educated. You had etiquette. This is the great thing about watching these PBS shows where they're talking about all this British nobility and you see how they talk and you're like, I am so glad I don't have to dress like that or talk like that. And as a part of the nobility, you were in a place of authority. You see this today in names like the House of Lords over in England. And out of that nobility, you also had the responsibility of protecting the people who live on your land. And so that's a picture historically of what nobility was and did. This idea of having a higher standard of being, and again, this is talking historically, you were a higher class person. You were in the aristocracy. You were the better people. And so that's come down to us in this idea of nobility and no longer being tied to your genetics, your family, but tied to your character. That someone who is noble is someone who is a higher standard of character. And today, in our story, we're going to meet a group of people that is described as being more noble than a group of other people. And since it is in God's word, we understand that this is God's evaluation of them. And so, the question we ask ourselves this morning is what does it mean to be noble in the sight of God? What does it mean to be a higher class of character to God? And so, if you're following along in your outline, located in your bullets, and you're going to see our big idea this morning that people of noble character are those who are transformed through humble submission to the word of God. So what we're going to do this morning a little different than what we normally do. I'm going to read the story. I'm going to take us through and then we're going to come back and we're going to focus on a few verses in the middle of the story. So let's start at verse 10. Follow along as I read. The brothers That is, the believers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They were in Thessalonica, and there was a riot, and they shipped them off to a place called Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Again, a pattern we've seen over and over again in the book of Acts, that when Paul comes to a new place, he finds a Jewish community, because he himself was Jewish and Talks to them first about Jesus. Verse 11 Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Departed. So big picture in this story is you see Paul come from Thessalonica to Berea, and he meets the Jewish community, which is described as being more noble. And we're going to come back to why in a second. But then you have the Thessalonian Jews come back again. And there's this great contrast set up between the Berean Jews and the Thessalonian Jews. One of them listens and reads the word of God, the other one starts riots. They did it last time, and they're doing it again. They're even following Paul to a different city just so they can cause another riot. And so then that that contrast of the Berean Jews and the Thessalonian Jews causes us to look at what the Bereans did right. What made them more noble than the Jews from Thessalonica. And there's a pattern that we see in the Jews in Berea that I think we are called to emulate and to model. And we're going to see it in three steps. The first step of what caused them to be viewed by God as more noble is that they were willing to listen. Look at verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. As we saw in verse 10, Paul goes into the synagogue and starts teaching in the synagogue about Jesus. And they received what he was saying with all eagerness eagerness the first step of humble submission to the word of god is opening your ears they didn't receive it grudgingly they received it with eagerness they were eager to hear what he was going to say and it brings the question to my mind for myself and for us this morning are you eager to hear from god's word you know, let me just admit something up front here about this sermon. There's nothing groundbreaking in it. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, I'm going to be preaching to the choir this morning. But let me suggest to you that if I gave you a multiple choice quiz, a true, let's do a true-false. Should I listen to the word of God? We would all get it right. Yes. Should I read my Bible? True. Okay, we'd all get it right. But the problem is, is do we actually live it out in our lives? And I want to call us back because it is a daily call that we have to hear every day to call us back to hearing the word of God. And a lot of it has to do with an eagerness to hear. And where does that eagerness come from? I think it comes from an expectation that when I read the word of God and when the word of God is preached that God is actually going to speak to me through it. I think so often we don't find satisfaction in the word of God, we don't find a love in the word of God because we expect nothing from the word of God. And so in seeing this first step, that the the Berean Jews were eager to listen to what Paul was saying, I think we need to ask this question, what keeps me from listening? Can I give you three examples, three reasons I came up with that that, that prevent me from hearing God in his word? The first is, is what I've already mentioned of we don't really expect God to speak. Perhaps it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if we really believe that this is the word of God and not just a really great book, that comes with expectation. And that every time I read it, every time I hear it properly preached or taught, that I should, because of the nature of this book, expect God to speak to me. And I think we get bored because we don't expect that the God of universe would communicate to me through it. Secondly, another reason that, that keeps me from, from listening is that I don't really see a need for God to speak. I think this comes from, especially if you've been a believer for a long time, this idea that I'm I'm good. I know what I need to know. I'm a good person. I'm pretty good, at least I'm better than them. But this sense of completeness that when we have that, when we get into that unhealthy place of I don't need to change anymore, I've got all the answers, is when I turn off my ears to the Word of God. Now again, we would never say that, but do do we live that? Do I allow, am I bored with the Word of God because I don't allow it to change me? Thirdly, again, these are just some examples. I'm sure, I'm sure there are more. But thirdly, we don't have time to listen. Our culture and our lives are so fast-paced and so full that it's almost impossible to slow down. But I want you to see in the Bereans here that they took the time to Listen. They took the time to see what God was saying through his word. I've said this before from the pulpit that I think the most expensive resource today is not money but time. And are you willing to sacrifice the time necessary to hear from God in his word? So the first step, being transformed by humble submission to the word of God is listening. That second step is submitting to the word of God. Number two on your outline they're willing to submit. Not only did they listen, but verse 11 again, now those Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. And what did they do when they received it? examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is why I said earlier, well, spoiler, you want to have your Bibles out today (laughs) because these people had their Bibles out. And when Paul was speaking, they were checking what he was saying against God's word. Now look how that is described this this study that they did. First of all, examining the scriptures daily. This is a regular thing. Again, if I were to ask you, is it a good thing to read your Bible? Hopefully we would all say true and we get that right on the test. But is it something we do daily? Is it something we have regularity with? Again, they, the, the Berean Jews are more noble. One of the reasons they are more noble is that they are daily in the word of God. But we also see why they were examined. And I want us to see the assumptions that they are making with their actions. So examining the scriptures daily, again, we have to ask why? Why is this recorded in the Bible? To see if these things were so. So they were listening to Paul, examining the scriptures, and the reason they were examining the scriptures is because they were fact-checking him. This is one of the best stories for our culture today because we are awesome at (laughs) fact-checking. Go to Snopes.com for everything, okay? but that makes an assumption about the Bible. It makes the assumption that it is actually the truth. Notice, it doesn't say, and they talked about it a lot to see if they thought what Paul was saying was good. The authority wasn't in them and in their discussion, the authority was in their Bible. And through their actions, we see the authority that they believed the Bible had. And so the way for them to evaluate what Paul was saying was through checking it against the Word of God. And so they were submitting to the authority of the Word of God. They were allowing the Bible to answer the question, is this true or not? They weren't trying to come up with the answer themselves. They were trying to find it in the word of God. This is something that I think is difficult for our culture and difficult for us in our culture, the idea of submitting to a greater authority than ourselves. But it is a necessary part of being transformed to be more like Jesus. And so we listen, we evaluate it under the authority of Scripture, again, not presenting ourselves as the ultimate authority, but sitting under the authority of the Word of God. And when people listen, and when they come under the authority of the Word of God, the third step of transformation happens so they were willing to listen they were willing to submit and thirdly they were willing to change again back to 11 and 12 now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica they received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so then verse 12 Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Again, there's that way that Luke talks that we're going to talk about when we get to eternity. Okay, why do you keep saying not a few? Just say a lot, okay? Dibs on first having that conversation with him. Okay. But see, see the process. They listened to Paul, they submitted to the authority of the word of God, and because of what God's word said, and that Paul was saying, that, that, that what he was saying was true according to the word of God, they changed. Remember, these are not already believers. He's in a synagogue. These are unbelieving Jews. Jews. I think sometimes we forget that when we, when we name bookstores after the Bereans. But when they were first reading the book, they weren't believers. But in verse 12, we see that many of them therefore believed. And I think when we forget that, we forget that they are changing. They are, in some ways, turning away from what they've been taught and turning towards Jesus. And we're reminded of this change because that's when the Thessalonian Jews come back in and they start another riot. Okay, they're not happy about Christianity. And so don't miss how big this change was. And it's a good reminder because when we do read God's word, God will call us to change. When we do come under the authority of the word of God, change will happen. And we hate change. Like some of us are really good at hating change. I'm really good at hating change. But God's word demands it. And if I really believe it's God's word, then I have to change. The person who is of noble character, when confronted with the word of God, will not try to change the word of God, but will change themselves. Think about a guy like Thomas Jefferson, who did not believe in the miraculous. And so he decided, since he was a smart guy, that he was going to edit the Bible. And you can find this, I think there's a copy in the Smithsonian, you can go online, and you can look on the Thomas Jefferson Bible. He literally cut and pasted all of the miracles out of the Bible. It's a very clear example of someone who did not want to submit to the authority of the Word of God and decided to be the authority of the Word of God. He didn't want to change what he believed, so he literally changed the Bible. Now some of us might not be so bold as to literally cut sections out of our Bibles, but do we in the decisions we make? Where maybe we just ignore a certain part and just pretend it's not there and go back to one of our favorite verses. But those who are noble will be changed by the word of God. I want us to think about how this affects my everyday life, how this affects your everyday life. The first thing that I want us to consider is how the transformation happened. Transformation happened through humble submission. I think in an age of social media and being internet famous, we've lost what it means to be humble. We've lost the greatness of Humility, and that humility is the tool that God most often uses to shape us to be more like Jesus. Humility is not easy, humility, in some ways, cuts against every sin. Because in some ways the root of every sin is pride that I know better than God. But we need to be people who are humble towards the word of God. And I think that if you, if you look at the believer in your life who has most affected you, whom you most respect, I think you will find a humble person. Humility needs to be at the center of who we are as disciples of Jesus. Secondly, how this affects my life today is that this story is about people who have been transformed into new believers through the word of God. I've got a little story. Well, it's not a little. It's a little bit of a longer story, but I want to read it to you because it gives me hope about how God uses His Word to transform unbelievers into believers. This is a story. This is not my story. This is a story of one of my professors who went to university in Canada, and one of his friends, there's actually a longer part of the story, but one of his friends, is a Muslim from Pakistan. And so after he tells the story about them having some uh, math jokes about the Trinity, which is another fun story I'll give another time, um, he says this. He laughed good-naturedly. That was the level of our discussion and friendship. About November, it suddenly dawned on me that he had never read the Christian Bible. He did not own one. He had never held one in his hands, so I bought him a Bible. He asked, where do I start? He did not know how to put it together. He did not know about the Old Testament and the New Testament. He did not know about the Gospels, and I did not know what to suggest to him. So I said, well, why don't you start with John's Gospel? I showed him where it was right after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Coming as he did from Asia, he did not read books the way I would read a book. How many pages can I get through tonight? The more the better. No, he had a style of reading that proceeded slowly with many pauses for reflection, rereading, and wondering. And the passage he was beginning to think about was John chapter 1. That Christmas I brought him home to my parents' home who at that point lived on the French side of our state capital, Ottawa, in a place called Hull. It transpired that my father had heart problems and my mother and I spent most of our time in the hospital. My dear friend Mohammed was largely left on his own. By the end of that Christmas break, Dad was recovering nicely, so I asked to borrow the car so I could take Mohammed to see some of the sights in the capital city. We went here and there and we ended up at our Parliament building. In those days, there was much less security than there is now. We joined one of the guided tours, 30 of us being led around the buildings, to the rotunda at the rear where the library is, to the senate chambers, to the house of commons, to the rogues gallery of Canadian prime ministers from Sir John A. Macdonald down, and so forth. We finally returned to the central foyer, which is circled by some large pillars. At the top of each pillar is a large fresco where there is a figure. And the guide explained, as he pointed from one figure to the next, there is Aristotle, for government must be based on knowledge. There is Socrates, for government must be based on wisdom. There is Moses, for government must be based on law. He went all the way around, then he asked any questions. My friend piped up, where is Jesus Christ? The guide did what guides do under such circumstances. They simply say, I beg your pardon. So, Muhammad did what foreigners do under such circumstances. They assume that they have been misunderstood because of their thick accent. So, he articulated his question more clearly and more loudly Where is Jesus Christ? Now, there were three groups in the foyer of the Canadian parliament listening to a Pakistani Muslim ask where Jesus was. I was looking for a crack in the ground to fall into. I had no idea where this was coming from. Finally, the guide blurted out, why should Jesus be here? Muhammad looked shocked, picking up a line from the Bible verse he had been reading he said i read in the christian bible that the law was given through moses but the grace but that grace and truth came through jesus christ where is jesus christ the guide said i don't know anything about that and i muttered under my breath preach it brother Do you see how it looked to Muhammad? He was a Muslim. He understood about a God who has laws, who has standards, who brings terror, who sits in judgment over you, a God who is sovereign and holy and powerful. He understood all of that, but he had already been captured by Jesus, full of grace and truth, who displays his glory profoundly in the cross and becomes the meeting place between God and sinners because he dies the sinner's death. All that through reading the first chapter of John. And do we forget the power of God's word to transform someone? A Muslim from Pakistan becomes a believer in Jesus at a Canadian university because of the transforming work of the word of God. So we're transformed by humble submission. We're transformed into a new disciple. We're also transformed into a mature disciple. For those who have already placed their faith in Christ, examining the scriptures, listening for God to speak in his word daily, is the primary tool by which we are shaped to be more like Jesus. If you want to grow in your faith and in your maturity to be more like Jesus, you must start by listening and hearing the word of God and changing because of it. And fourthly, related to that, We're not only transformed into mature disciples, we're transformed into leaders. How does God raise up leaders? Again, it is that maturity that is found in humble submission to the word of God. One of the reasons that I I respect the members of our board of elders is because I hear again and again from them how God's word is shaping their lives. And these are men who have been selected for their already maturity. But it helps me to love and respect them more when they tell me how their devotion affected them, how hearing a teaching or a sermon made them change what they were doing. And if you want to be a leader, it begins with humbly submitting to the word of God and letting the word of God lead you. In God's sight, a noble leader, one worth following is one who submits themselves to his word. So I leave with this question. Would God call you noble? Are you more like the Thessalonians or the Bereans? Do you listen to the word of God? Do you submit to it and do you change because of it? Are you allowing God to use his word to transform your life to be more like Jesus? May all of us listen and submit and change according to what God has spoken and that we would all be found noble in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be students of your word coming under the authority of your word as the Bereans did so long ago that we would expect you to speak, that we would recognize the authority that your word has for our lives and that you would use it to transform us to be more like Jesus. Grow humility in our hearts. Cause us to eagerly hear from your word. And use it to mold and shape us into the disciples you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I want to invite those who are helping serve communion to come forward at this time. is a gift to the church so that we not only hear about the good news of Jesus but it is a symbol that we can see and smell and touch to remind us of the gospel so as Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we proclaim the Lord's death to each other to ourselves and to a watching world when we take communion because in it we see the gospel. And since we are preaching the gospel to ourselves, that means a couple things. Number one, it means you need to examine your heart before you take communion. It's a time of reflection and confession to God because you do not want to take communion in an unworthy manner. It also means that that this meal is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you are a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to take communion with us. If you are not a believer in Jesus, we ask that you just pass the elements by. And then I'd love to talk to you about what it means to place your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, a reconciliation to the God who created you, and the hope of eternal life. But this is for believers because we are preaching the good news of Jesus who took our place. Who was the Passover lamb who died so we could be set free from sin. And we do that in remembrance of him. As is our custom, we will pass out both elements. Please hold on to them as we will take them together.